0: All right. So you may have heard this in the news at the top of the hour. You may have missed it. The Trump administration told China to close its diplomatic consulate in Houston, quote, to protect American intellectual property and Americans' private information. The State Department spokesperson um, uh, has now uh, been quoted as saying in the press. Police officials are, uh, are reporting to the press that Chinese consulate officials Uh, have been seen at the building burning their own paperwork in large metal trash cans. All right. So you've seen that in movies. You've seen, um, you know, how uh, at U.S. embassies or consulates around the world, um, there are, you know, I mean, you've seen this, you and I've seen this. There are microwaves and they, they pop their hard drives out and they put them in the microwave so that, you know, that data is lost and scrubbed and they... Uh, They have burn boxes or burn bins where they dump paperwork and they set it aflame. Um, So, you know, life imitates art or art accurately reflects uh, what happens around the world when nation states are at enmity with one another, um, when they had at least been faking for a period of time that they were really friends. Let's just let's just admit that um, the American worldview and the worldview of communist China They that's that's oil and water. It doesn't mix. So there has been for a fairly long period of time. uh, The mutual advantage of scratching one another's back in relationship to economic advancement, the human rights violations of China should have kept us at arm's length from intimacy with them. um, And we allowed ourselves to. To succumb to economic advantage that was won by uh having partnerships with China, even though we knew they the human rights abuses um which we now talk about as being exercised against the Uyghur people, but it's this is not like this just started with the Uyghur people. Um and so I guess what you should hear me say is if you um if you cozy up with bad actors in order to gain some sort of economic advantage you're going to find yourself at some point recognizing oh you know what that person or that group or that company or that country that's not really our friend so uh, so i i lift this up because i don't think any of us should be surprised um i think that this is just the first of um of what are now likely to be many back and forth um disentanglements with china and we talked earlier in the week about China's growing affection for connections with and uh, and work alongside Russia and Iran. So there are global alignments and global realignments taking place. This is evidence of that. Uh, and so there you go. We need to find some new friends, and it probably needs to be based less on economics and more on a shared worldview and shared understanding of human dignity and shared Uh, desire for um, all boats to rise, not just one. All right. So there you go. That's my uh, worldview opinion for the morning. Bill English is in the wings waiting to talk with us about the U.S. economy and not just the U.S. economy, but that uh, that home economics issue in your own house. So we are going to be talking economics next here on Mornings with Carmen. With us today, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill, good hey. morning.
2: Good morning. Three weeks I was away. Nice to be back.
0: I know. We're not going to talk. We're not. We, we are so glad you're back. Can we just say that? We're just so glad you're back.
2: Uh, and, and it's good to talk with you again. I missed exactly. I missed our Wednesday morning. Uh, I had to get my Carmen fix on Wednesday morning, <laughs> so...
0: Yeah. So, hey, if you're out there getting your Carmen fix and you've missed Bill, uh, this is a really great time for you to go fill out the listener survey. All right. So if you're listening, then the listener survey is for you. You text the word survey to 877-933-2484, or you go online to myfaithradio.com backslash survey. You've only got, you know, I don't know, a couple more days to do this. So if you're listening and you've been putting it off and you like your Carmen fix and you like your Bill fix, uh go ahead. Go fill out the survey now. It doesn't take much time and um and Bill and I'll just talk over you while you do it. Okay. Bill, there you go. Talk yes. talk, talk with us about um uh you know, the US economy, but but bring it home. What is going on in terms of the headlines that I'm reading particularly in relationship to bankruptcies?
2: Yeah, well I've been saying for months now that the there is a, ban- a bankruptcy tsunami that's on its way. And that's because of COVID and the shutting down of businesses. And while the uh payroll protection program uh sustained a lot of those businesses for the for the ten weeks that it was intended to sustain back in the March, April, and early May timeframes, the reality is that now those businesses are out of cash, the stimulus money isn't flowing anymore. And uh, the lawyers, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, everybody else is saying, hey, you know what? Bankruptcies are really going to pick up in the August, September and October time frame. It's, it's just going to happen. It's, it's predictable.
0: These numbers are uh, that you sent me are pretty staggering. Um, yeah, they are. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce says 43 percent of all small businesses could close permanently in the next six months.
2: I think there's a little hype in that, to be honest with you, uh, but yet the U.S. Chamber tends not to be a hypish type of organization when they put out their um, uh, press releases. So it wouldn't surprise me if 25 to maybe even 35 percent of small businesses around the United States closed by Christmas uh, because of COVID, not just because governors shut them down for a while and then have partially reopened them, but because the the buying patterns of people are changing significantly because of covid Mm -hmm. and some small businesses are just not going to survive
0: okay let's talk specifically about restaurants
2: yeah, let's do that. Uh Yelp has uh fifteen thousand restaurants have already permanently closed, according to Yelp, according to the NRA, the National Restaurant Association. For those of <laughs> you, you Second Amendment people, there is another NRA out there. Um they are saying that ninety thousand restaurants nationwide have closed their indoor dining and that nationwide the restaurants are down in gross revenue by ninety-four billion. That's a B billion dollars. Uh, Congress is looking at a restaurants act uh, to dedicate 120 billion for independent bars and restaurants to the end of 2020. Don't know if that's going to pass and it would not be applicable, I don't believe, to the chains like a a P.F. Chang's or a McDonald's or somebody like that, a a Perkins, for example. Uh, It probably wouldn't apply to them. So restaurants are hurting.
0: And when we think about restaurants, um, you know, we're already thinking about People who are on the low end of of the wage spectrum, um, and certainly, you know, restaurants who uh, who are now doing drive-through or curbside only, they don't need as many servers as they've needed before. Um, and what you're what you're telling me is that uh, lots of them who participated in the Paycheck Protection Program are saying that that money has been spent. Um, you're also telling me that that as renters, right, as as renters of property. They they were able to um, negotiate breaks with their landlords for a number of months. But those landlords are now at the place where, hey, you know what, we need to be paid.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And by the way, there's a number of restaurants where the uh, the servers, at least, are not low end in their um, is, is there, there. There is a bit of a misconception that if you wait tables at a restaurant, you're not making a lot of money. I know a, I know a number of, of, of restaurants where their servers earn seventy, eighty hundred thousand dollars a year. Now, these are not McDonald's <laughs> type
3: restaurants. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but there 's a lot of restaurants out there where they 're doing quite well but uh, who this who this restaurant thing is really hurting is both the landlords and the uh, farmers that produce the food for these local boutique restaurants uh, there 's a lot of farms that that serve uh, independent restaurants that are within say you know fifty to hundred miles of the farm. And when those restaurants aren't serving customers, they're not buying produce and the farms are producing this produce and they don't know where, where, you know, what to do with it. So some of them are going to sell it on the open market. Others, they're just taking the loss. So American farmers are hurting, too, if they're independent, smaller farmers.
0: OK, I want to talk about farms and farmers specifically when we come back from the break, because I think that, well, you and I both know there's a lot of people in our listening audience um, for whom this is this is home. Farm is home. And so we're gonna talk about yep. um farms and farmers up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Bill English is my guest and we'll be right back. Nobody wants to be my
1: friend. What's a donkey to do?
0: Yeah, we just have a little fun with Bill English. He's the only guest we have who the Eeyore song works. So you're really full of joy. You just have a – you have an ear affect, and so –
2: Oh, jeez. Thanks. Well, you know, it no, was No, I,
0: I – you know, I, there's – go when, ahead.
2: When I, when, when I connected with Paul this morning after three weeks, right, you know, and, and Paul and I get on Skype, and the first thing he says is, Bummer Bill Wednesday, you know? No, 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 no. you got to say it right.
0: <laughs> it's a Bummer Bill Wednesday. you got to say it right. You put the inflection in there. Paul was out know, last week, too. So he, is, he, is a, he has a I'm need charged. to play all that. He's all charged up. He has a need to play music. It's totally fine.
2: Oh, geez. But you know what? Uh, if you don't look at life in a truthful way, then you're just looking at uh, through a, uh, eyes of fantasy. And uh, that doesn't help anybody. So, you know, there are good things happening in business. But this COVID thing, yeah, has led to a lot of negative news right now, unfortunately. So
0: that was a good that was a good uh, good segue back thank you thank you for bridging us back to the uh <clears throat> to the conversation at hand okay so farms and farmers yeah. uh, i am uh, I am not a farmer however um we do have a a garden and let me just tell you that since my um, since my additional hands garden hands have been hiking in Colorado for a couple of weeks and have not been here picking cucumbers and tomatoes. Um, and collecting eggs and weeding and all of the wonderful things that they do day in and day out. Uh, I'm just going to tell you, it's, it's just a, it's a hot mess out there. So um, talk with us about farming and the anticipation that's needed in terms of the market and the market demand. When the demand it goes away, um, what do farmers do and how do they survive?
3: You know, the
2: farming is a really tough business. It's just a tough business because you have to anticipate customers demand months in advance before you plant. You know, at the time you're planting, say, a, a 30 or 40 acre field, you're anticipating a certain demand four or five months from now and that that demand will be there to buy your product that you're growing. OK, and I'm, I'm using uh, crop farming here in particular. I think there's more stable demand for uh, things like uh, uh, meat, whether it's pork or, or beef or whatever it is. And so but they have to they have to anticipate that demand in advance. Well, COVID has upset that apple cart. Right. No pun intended. And um, covid, you know, as as restaurants have tried to reopen and then they've had to shut down some of them and then they've tried to reopen again and shut down. It really messes with that supply chain predictability, both for the farmer and for the restaurant and so farmers um some of them are just turning to taking their their goods to the open market and selling directly to the customer and from what i read they're really not making any money at it but at least they're recouping their cost of goods so to speak the the money that they that they have into the uh to the the, the crops uh, themselves and so uh the farmers are hurting just as much and uh, th- this is not something that's going to end anytime soon because they need predictability as part of the supply chain back to restaurants, to grocery stores, uh, to feed mills, that kind of thing, in order to uh, to know what to plant and how to grow things. It- it's tough.
0: So here's another one to watch over the next uh, few weeks and months and uh, and maybe even throughout the academic year. Nobody that I mean, I've Googled it. So, you know, that's maybe not the total best research that I could do on this subject. But there is the school food supply chain. The school yes. food supply chain um, is going to have to get ramped up like overnight in some places. And it's going to have to be prepared to be shut down and any fresh food is going to have they're going to have to figure out how to d- redistribute it. I mean, it is a that is a a bloom that is a bloom on the horizon that no one is going to enjoy. I'm just going ahead and telling you right now the school food supply chain even in my own very very small county where they just moved the open date from August 10th to uh to the end of that week, well all of the food was already set. Like the all of the fresh food um and perishables were already set to be delivered the the Friday prior to the August 10 open. Well, that's now pushed off a week. Where does all that food go? And how do all those families that are counting on, they're counting on that food? You know, they've, they've been suffering along since Memorial Day when uh, food distribution ended at public schools across the country. Um, I mean, I just, we have plenty of food in America. We have a serious distribution and redistribution problem um when there is as you described no predictability
2: yeah yeah it's, i know it's, that's it's me it's making a, a
0: speech i i apologize
2: no hey it's your show i mean you i'm here to help you so
0: <laughs> oh gosh you bill's know, here to I'm, help me i just everyone should just take note of that for just a moment bill bill is here to hey, help paul, me that's thank hey paul
2: you. grab that audio we need that audio Sometime. okay it's marked uh so uh, you know, by the way, individually, though, uh, 25 million Americans are set to lose their $600 a week bump in the federal <laughs> unemployment benefits at the end of July. Uh, that's been costing America $15 billion a week. Uh, 34% have found that being on unemployment, they made more money on unemployment with the $600 bump than what they were making at work. I think that has contributed to the 11.1% unemployment rate that we have. I think in August you're going to find that people who no longer ha- are just get, – they're getting their 350, not their 950 a week. I think what's going to happen is that a lot, number of them are going to flood back into the uh, employment market. The unemployment rate will come down. Trump will t- take credit as all presidents do. And uh, and it might propel our economy forward. But the basic piece of the COVID, that effect is still going to be with us. and. Uh, that's going to be with us at least through the end of the year, if not into q one or q two of next year,
0: yeah, and that going back to work for a lot of people is also in no small measure dependent on kids going back to school uh you know yeah. there's a lot of parents yeah. who can't they can't go back to work if their kids don't go back to school at That's least one very of them, true. at least one of them can't so uh yeah I mean it's and in single parent households it's just there's just so many layers to the challenge that people are facing, and so um it's it's a Prayer concern for all of us. It's also of concern to us, just in terms of the spirit in which we approach the conversations. Um, one of the things that I uh, that I appreciate about you, Bill, is that you try to get us to be others focused, not just focused on ourselves. I appreciated this quote that you sent me from Bruce Waltke: "The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves." Um, yeah. Why don't you give us give us some give us some positive Uh, ideas for how we can help our neighbor this week?
2: You know, look, if there's 11 percent unemployment, that means there's 89 percent employment. Right. Mm. And there's a number of people who are currently employed and their incomes have not been interrupted. This is a great time for the people of God to look up you know when Christ said you know raise your eyes look up and see that the fields are white already for harvest you know that 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 idea of looking up and noticing people around you who are in need and being willing to be an instrument of the holy spirit to meet their need or help meet their need is something that is ripe for us right now and so my, i i think the big listener takeaway for today is that if you have some means, even if it's only a few hundred dollars, be willing to part with it to give it to somebody who is in need, and you will be disadvantaging yourself to advantage the other person. That's what the righteous do. And I think Bruce Walkie hit the nail on the head with that quote.
0: Yeah, I just love that. Thanks for bringing us that today. That's Bill English. You can find him at bibleandbusiness.com. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Bill.
2: All right. Looking forward to it. Take care.
0: We'll, we'll be right back. If you've looked in your fridge recently, then you recognize that uh, pretty much everything has an expiration date. Cal Thomas, nationally syndicated columnist, is examining the question of the expiration date of America. That's right. He's predicting America's fall from power, and he proposes solutions before it's too late. The book is America's Expiration Date. And Cal Thomas will be with us next.
1: This is Max Locato. Refuge is a favorite word of David's. You'll count as many as 40-plus appearances in some Bible versions. But never did David use the word more poignantly... Then in Psalm 57, the introduction to the passage explains its background. A song of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Lost in shadows and thought, he has nowhere to turn. Go home, he endangers his family. To the tabernacle, he imperils the priests. Saul will kill him. Here he sits, all alone. But then he remembers he's not. And from the recesses of the cave, a sweet voice floats. Be merciful to me, O God, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I make my refuge. Make God your refuge. Let him be the foundation on which you stand. This is Max (laughs) Locato.
0: Joining me now is Cal Thomas. You know him as the nation's most widely syndicated columnist for more than 30 years. He's joining me today to talk about his latest book, America's Expiration Date. Cal, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Thank you, Carmen. Nice to be with you.
0: Well, it's a joy. It's an absolute joy to talk with you um, and, a, and a great privilege. I'm a, I'm a admirer of your work um, for many, many years. I appreciate the way that you Um, help us look at the right things. You help us look at the right things in the right way from a biblical worldview, from a historically accurate perspective. And you're not just descriptive, you're also prescriptive. You help us know what to do differently today and tomorrow in order that the things that we don't like that we see today might be different in the future. So I just want to thank you for the way in which you address the concerns of the culture.
3: Well, thank you very much, Carmen. Uh, I'd like to hire you as my agent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know everybody's for sale, so there you go. No, no, not really. I love what I do. I totally love what I do. Okay, so talk with us about America's expiration date. Um, you know, I can look in my refrigerator. I see a date stamped on uh, on everything in there. I try to keep up with that. Um, Nations rise and fall. That's the uh, that's the historic acknowledgement of the book. Um, the United States of America has a 1776 sort of start date, print date. Establishment date and then a dash. And you're saying there's an end date in sight unless we start doing things differently.
3: Well, I'm not a prophet and I don't uh, walk around with a sandwich board and a long beard and that old cartoon that says the end is near. But you're right. If you look at uh, these empires and superpowers, as I do uh, in the book, uh, they all follow the same pattern toward decline and destruction. The one thing that never changes, Carmen, is human nature. You can change modes of transportation from horses and carts to airplanes, trains, and automobiles. You can change uh, hairstyles and clothes, but you can't change human nature. And I think without an understanding of human nature, the best of which we get through the scriptures, Uh, then we are in danger of uh, losing this country that our forebears established and sacrificed so much in order to give us the liberty that we enjoy. Uh, This book was inspired by an essay by the late British uh, diplomat Sir John Glubb, who studied several thousand years of human history and found this pattern that the average empire and superpower lasts only 250 years. Now, there are a few exceptions. The Roman Empire, for example, is the most uh, obvious, but even that followed the same pattern to destruction as all the others. And the last stage before collapse, uh, Sir John described as decadence, and he defined that as uncontrolled immigration without assimilation. Massive national debt, we're at 26 trillion and counting, and uh, neither side, neither politicians from either side want to slow it down, much less reverse it. Uh, and uh, uh, military overreach, too many troops in too many countries uh, unable to keep up with the cost. And I just fear that we're on that same path right now. And most especially, we need a moral and spiritual revival. We now tolerate everything except God.
0: So I have I a have hundred directions that, that we could go. Let's, um, let's do this. You offer this incredible diagnosis, and I'm feeling like the things that you are saying in your book, I'm also hearing from guys like Oz Guinness and and Ross Douthat. I'm I'm hearing what you are saying. Um, I guess I'm concerned, Cal, that not enough people are not only hearing what you're saying, but then having heard the diagnosis um, and the prognosis, actually then taking the substantive steps necessary Uh, not just to survive, right? I mean, survival would be one thing, but to actually then thrive.
3: Yes. Well, I think one of the uh, things that each of us can do, I remember something uh, Barbara Bush said uh, years ago, uh, our success as a nation, your success as a family depends less on what happens in the White House and more on what happens in your house. I think we have to reclaim the next generation, and that's going to require us to put our children in schools, whether it be primary, secondary, or especially universities that don't undermine the faith, the history, the values uh, of their parents. Uh, This is so obvious to me. We don't send our troops to enemy uh, nations, or to ISIS to be trained, we train them here at home with our own ideology and with our own weapons. But we willingly send our children into these re-education camps that dissect their faith and they come back uh, as intellectual and moral zombies that their parents don't even represent. So we're, we're two generations away now. Uh, our, kids have been, our kids and grandchildren have been propagandized by these uh, institutions, and we've got to get them out and don't send them there in the first place. So that's one way. The other thing is, neither party is going to save us. Now, we all have our preferences for president and Congress, but that's not the problem. The The problems are not economic and political, although there are problems along those lines. The problem is moral and spiritual. And, you know, Paul writes in Romans 8 that God has built futility futility into his creation and hope that the creation will turn to him. Now, who has faith in any political party or in the political system to rescue us from our collective uh, difficulties and problems? I certainly don't, and I was born in Washington, D.C., and I've lived there most of my life, and I've observed this uh, up close and from afar, and I don't have any faith in politician. I think God is bringing us to the end to say, okay, choose this day whom you will serve. There's a crossroads. You better take the right road or you're done.
0: I'm talking with Cal Thomas. You know him as uh, just a prolific syndicated columnist. Uh, He's also written many books, the latest of which is America's Expiration Date. We're talking about um, how nations rise and, well, in particular, how they fall, what happens when you come to uh, the end of a national story and what you might be able to do before you come to that end in terms of a a reversal, um, a redemption, uh, a redemptive narrative. That's what we're looking for here. We are talking about moral and spiritual revival. And yes, a part of that would then be political revival. Um, Cal, let's start. Let's make a few of those parallels that you make in the book. You talk about these once great empires that now no longer exist, only, you know, only in the dustbin of history. Um, Tell us what some of the constants are across time.
3: Well, I I do think, you know, there's so many warnings. I mean, in Scripture, Moses warned what happens to a people who forget God. Jesus warned about it. Uh, Paul warned about it. I mean, if you look into even American history and contemporary history, uh, Abraham Lincoln said uh, the major cause of the Civil War was that we forgot God. Uh, we forgot that hand that graciously preserved us and vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom of our own. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was as much of a modern prophet as as there ever was, came and spoke at Harvard about the decline and decadence of the West. Harvard hated it. The New York Times uh, railed against him for making such a speech. But it's true. I mean, if you forget God, you forget everything. You forget the purpose for living. Everybody has to have a transcendent reason for living beyond getting up in the morning, going to work, making money, buying stuff. What kind of a life is that? I mean, it's only three score and ten average, a little more for some of us, a little less for others. But uh, we have no focus on eternity anymore. For the Christian community, there's so many biblical illiterates out there. If you look at some of the surveys by Barna and others, there are people who believe, who go to church every Sunday, who think that uh, God helps those who help themselves as in the Bible. Uh, (laughs) There are people who, who, who just have, don't don't want to engage uh, the culture with the truth that is scripture and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, who didn't come to establish a religion, but came to reestablish a broken religion, a broken relationship. And I think that's the uh, that's that's the thing that we've turned away from. In our you know C.S. Lewis warned against prosperity. Prosperity is. Uh, Leads to contentment, and contentment leads to uh, uh, a loss of uh, a sense of a need of God in our lives. So I think we're at the point, as they were in 1857, our last major revival, uh, where all you know we need to gather together and pray to honor God, not to honor ourselves, not to hope the stock market goes up, to confess our national sins and our individual sins, and to ask God to send a revival. I believe we're at the stage that that is the only thing that can save us. You look at the riots in the streets, the anarchists, the seditionists, uh, this is something that is, is indicative of where we are morally and spiritually in this country, in my view.
0: Cal Thomas and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I do want to tell you I have copies of the book available. If you are interested in entering uh, the drawing for one of the copies that we have here in Studio of America's expiration date, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Cal and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Cal Thomas about uh, his new book, America's Expiration Date. Um, Cal, when you, when you think about what is behind, not just here in the United States of America, but what, you know, what is behind historically, because you're, you're just a far more astute uh, student of, of history than most of us. When you look back and then you look forward, what do you see?
3: Well, you know, the scripture, Jesus said, nation will rise against nation. Uh, Isaiah talks about uh, God regards all nations as a drop in the bucket and less than nothing, which ought to be humbling to all of us. I think there has been a trend, especially in the United States, in a a certain uh, wing of evangelicalism, to baptize the past and to look back to founders, uh, some of who were deists and free thinkers, others who were uh, solid believers, and to think that somehow the United States is uh, is uniquely preserved from following uh, the uh, route of other nations uh, in history that, that turned away from God. Yes, we have a lot of churches in America. Yes, we have a lot of believers in America. But if you look at the trend, as I said earlier about national debt, about uh, you know, 20% of millennials, according to the Pew Research Center, uh, no longer believe in God or didn't in the first place. Uh, there, there's just a, a coarseness and a uh, spiritual drought in this country. And I think that's a common denominator, as Sir John Glove wrote uh, in his essay, which was the inspiration for the book, uh, in, in many, many other nations. You look at it, you look at Persia, you look at uh, the Byzantine Empire, uh, you look at, even uh, in more modern times, the United Kingdom, which you know, it used to be said of the British Empire, it, it, it was something on which the sun never set. They, they dominated most of the world, but they were guilty of overreach as well. And now they've become a largely secular country, a shadow of their former selves. So I think we, you know, when Jesus stood before Pilate, and Pilate says, are you a king then? And Jesus replied, yes, but my kingdom is not of this world. I think that is such a profound statement. So many people put their faith in the kingdoms and kingdoms that are of this world, hoping and praying that somehow, if we just elect the right people, we're going to get trickle-down morality and all kinds of other good things from fellow sinners in Washington. It's just not going to happen. It isn't going to happen. And and God has brought us to this place, I think, where uh, you know Billy Graham used to say we're not at a crossroads, as some say. We're a long way down the wrong road and need to come back to the crossroads and take the right road. I think that's true not only for the United States in 2020. It's also true for every nation that has preceded us on Earth.
0: Give us, a, um, give us something tangible that literally each and every one of us could do, everyday Americans, to well, prevent our country's expiration date
3: we can prevent it or not i mean it's it's pretty uh, pretty well down that road but I, I can tell you that uh you know wh- how many times have we said when confronted with a seemingly impossible situation all i can do is pray All you can do is pray. All you can do is speak to the creator of the universe who has the whole world and everything in it, in his hands, and you leave that last. Prayer should not be a last resort. It ought to be a first resource. It humbles ourselves before God. And we're told in scripture that God regards humility as one of, if not the highest character quality in his creation. When you humble yourself before God, when you empty yourself of yourself, when you call upon his name, when you seek revival for his glory and not your own and not your own benefit. You know, Solomon asked for wisdom, and God said, because you asked for wisdom and you didn't ask for great wealth, long life, or the destruction of your enemies, I'm going to give you wisdom like no one has ever had before and no one ever will have, and I'll also give you a long life and riches. That's the priority. And when we glorify God and then we, we put our children and grandchildren in in the kinds of schools and, and surroundings that teach them of the love of God and that integrate the truth of Scripture with science and all of these other disciplines, then we produce, a well-rounded child who is able to take on and face the decaying culture of the world. Um, I, I don't know how much longer America is going to last. You know, in, in, on July 4, 2026, we'll be 250 years old, the average length, Sir John Glubb wrote, of uh, most uh, superpowers and nations. I don't know if we'll be destroyed by that date, but I know if we're not uh, interested in turning this uh, direction in which we're headed around, we're going to be a lot closer
0: to it. July 4th, 2026, uh, doesn't sound that far away. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't. Six years. All right. So, uh, Cal, when you, yeah, when you think about six years, um, you know, there's just a lot of people who, um, they're not even sure they can think six months out right now. Um, life is, uh, complex. Everything is controversial, um, um, It seems like every direction we look, they're just they're just problems on every front. I I see a lot of people just isolating, not just, you know, isolating because of coronavirus, but literally they're they're just disengaging in every way. Could you invite a reengagement by my Christian brothers and sisters um, who are listening right now, a reengagement in order that this prescription might not just be um, pushing off, but potentially inviting real moral and spiritual revival in the United States of America?
3: Well, look, uh, God has a will, and he also has a way. And if we think that uh, the political system or confronting unbelievers, you know, the natural man doesn't understand the things of the spirit. If you were a believer and you go out and you try to tell a pagan we shouldn't have abortion. God decided uh, that marriage ought to be between a man and a woman. Woman, uh, and and you argue about transgenderism and all of these other things. They're 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 not going to be persuaded. I used to debate people all the time on television who were not believers about these things. They were never persuaded by my point of view because they didn't know the Lord. But those I've led to Christ then had a different uh, worldview. I'll tell you a story about my longtime friend Bob Beckel, who I had the Privilege of leading to Christ a number of years ago, he um, he was a pro choicer on abortion, and a number of other things, and he used to do fundraisers every year for uh, Kate Michaelman and the and, and Nayral uh, National Abortion Rights uh, Action League. And after he came to Christ, he um, he uh, she called him and said, "What are you going to do for us this year, Bob?" And he said, "I can't do it anymore, Kate." And she said, "Why not? Did Cal get to you?" And he hmm. said, "No, no, Jesus did." You see, that makes the difference, and that's the only difference. I've never argued anyone to accept my point of view on the economy, on uh, social issues, or anything else. But those I've led to Christ and others who I've seen born again... Then are transformed by the renewing of their minds. So the biggest and most powerful thing we can do is be more effective witnesses for Jesus by following His instructions: to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, care for widows and orphans, visit those in prison, uh, clothe the naked, feed the hungry. Now, how many? You know, how many pagans see this when they consider? what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then the education thing I mentioned earlier, you know, we've got to get our kids out of these re-education camps uh, that teach them they evolve from slime, and uh, and their nearest relative is down at the zoo, and that's why they like bananas on their cereal. Uh, that's just not going to cut it for, for followers of Christ. And all the excuses about, well, you know, the, this is a p- private school or the home school. There's no football program. Well, there's nothing in scripture about sports other than running the race, you know, that Paul uses as an analogy. So there's plenty we can do, but most of all, you know, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Small things, widow's might, all of that. Focus on him.
0: I love it. All right. Prayer, evangelism under conversion, discipleship, including education, leading to moral and spiritual revival and the thriving uh, of, of the nation in which we live, bringing the kingdom, the principles of the king and the kingdom to bear amidst the kingdoms of this world. Uh, that is that is Cal Thomas's uh, prescription, really, for uh, dealing with America's looming expiration date. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. If you're interested in entering a drawing for the book, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Cal Thomas, thank you so much. Thanks, Carmen. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.